0: Richard Irving Dodge. In May of 1872, I was stationed at Fort Larned, supporting the construction of the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe Railroad line. The end of the track approached the town of Larned and tapped a very rich Buffalo region in southwest Kansas. Fort Larned stood at the confluence of Pawnee Creek and the Arkansas River. The fort provided a base for troops to protect commerce along the Santa Fe Trail. The fort also served as a distribution point to carry out government treaty obligations to the Plains Indians, During the time I was stationed at the fort, the commercial traffic on the Santa Fe Trail had become practically non-existent. Indian engagements in the area had dwindled, and in 1872, General Sheridan wanted to abandon Fort Larned. Governor Harvey of Kansas felt different about Sheridan's recommendation. Harvey appealed to keep the troops in the area to protect the workmen constructing the railroad from sporadic Indian raid. Harvey's appeal won over, and the military garrison remained. One sweltering but not breezeless morning in June, while stationed at Fort Larned, I decided to thoroughly explore this region. I commandeered a horse and light wagon. Setting out on my journey from the post, I traveled north to a high point on the plains, understood by most folks in the region as Pawnee Rock. Pawnee Rock, a sacred high ground for the Pawnee Indians, who at one time held tribal councils on its flat top. Many of the plains tribes used it as an observation point from which they could track and swoop down upon buffalo herds and wagon trains. During my travel to this lookout point, I remembered how my horse and wagon labored on up the trail for hours. For some miles, the road wound through an open stretch of rolling country. From the seat of my buckboard, I gazed over the luxuriant grass clothing the plain, like a green velvet carpet, and scarcely a tree rose in view. In many places along the trail, there were immense expanses, covered with a thickness of flowering plants. They looked wonderfully like enormous flower gardens, cultivated and trained by the hand of man. Millions of brilliant flowers, scarlet, pink, vermilion, purple, and yellow, blossomed in wild profusion, and the air was full of intoxicating fragrance as they gently waved back and forth in the soft afternoon wind. Just before reaching my destination, I stopped by a little creek bordered with trees, which broke the expansion of the vast prairie. At this juncture, I encountered 25 miles of one immense dark blanket of buffalo. On both sides of the trail, this mighty host grazed, browsed, wallowed, and played, totally unconscious that one human eye gazed on the scene. This scene, a spectacular sight, filled every breast with varied emotion Wonder, surprise, curiosity, apprehension, for all had read about or heard of the fearful stampedes of buffaloes, not unmingled with awe. Once reaching the highest point of Pawnee Rock, I could see 6 to 10 miles in all directions. From this outlook, I witnessed one of the greatest sights of my life. Stretching away for many miles from the western base of the hill, I witnessed an unbroken plain, level as a sleeping lake. Before me, I could see one solid, dark blanket of moving animals. A herd of buffaloes so immense to even imagine being no smaller than 25 miles wide at any given point and 50 miles deep. Far far as the limit of human vision extended scattered a vast drove of the long and eagerly expected buffaloes. To count such a herd, or even to guess approximately their number, became a task about as hopeless as to compute the leaves of a boundless forest. My estimate from where I stood on the high point above the plains account of no less than 480,000 all being in one herd. The ground literally swarmed with them and their dusky, shaggy, grotesque bodies mingled and blending, scattering away indefinitely into the mighty distance like a black cloud they faded away into earth and sky at the remote line of the horizon. To my knowledge of this event beheld before me the great southern herd coming north for the summer grass. Each huge creature was in restless motion. Some browsed on the luxuriant herbage, some wallowed in the moist earth, some gambled or engaged in playful contests. A subdued continual roar could be heard arising from the moan-like bellowing of the countless drove. The hoof strokes of myriads of feet also produced a dull, heavy sound which, combining with the other noise, remained one of the distant lashes of the surf on a rock-bound coast. Only there was no ebb and flow. The sound was unbroken. The endless movements of the herd were as kaleidoscopic as the tossing of the troubled deep. As I looked out over this dark blanket of migrating animals, I began to reminisce back to another encounter I had with these beastly creatures. Two months earlier, in command of a small detail on the Arkansas River Valley just below Fort Dodge, the weather was cold, the wind blustering to an evening sky. Knowing we would not reach our command before sunset, I ordered my men to make camp shelter under a low steep of a bluff. I selected a pocket in the bend of the creek. My orders to the men were to post their tents and establish the wagons in close formation to one another. The men settled in for an evening and sang, chatted, and laughed at the prospect of a glorious warm meal blazed by their campfires. Darkness had come before the meal ended, and the fatigued regiment, all ready to seek repose and slumber. Less than an hour later, every soul, except the vigilant sentries, locked themselves in a strong but tender embraces of slumber. The full January moon had rose soon after the sun had sank behind the edge of the horizon, and from her station high in the eastern heavens poured forth a flood of soft silvery light. The vast expanse of prairie solitude bathed with the unreal radiance and slept tranquilly under an all-embracing crystal night. A sense of mysterious loneliness brooded over nature, which did not fail to impart its weird coloring to the rapt dreams of the sleeping and the thoughts of the waking. How strong these nocturnal influences, and yet how indefinable and subtle, The night wind toyed with the ice-brown stripped foliage. From far over the ghostly plains came the mournful hoot of the ground owl, mingled with the distant howl of the coyote, and the sharp bark of the ever watchful prairie dog. The cry of some startled bird from the leafless trees, skirting the frozen river bank near the sleeping camp, were gathered at brief intervals, blending with the other sounds, softened by distance. Nocturnal voices known only to regions remote from civilized life and isolated from human habitation, filled with strange whisperings, the dull ear of the night. Under the moon's light, the Arkansas River looked like a broad ribbon of burnished steel, while its subdued voice fell softly on this sense of hearing as it rolled turbulently over its sandy bed or chafed against its low shelving banks. All in that camp slept soundly, Oblivious to the lonely surroundings of moon, prairie, brook, river, grove, beast, or bird, all enjoyed the brief, sweet repose that followed in the chill of the night. By midnight, each of the fires about the camp smoldered in smoke with glowing coal. It was at that moment when I became startled out of a restless sleep by a faint roar. The steady roar penetrated into the ground beneath me. My mind rushed into sudden consciousness as thoughts poured through me of every possibility from a cloudburst, or was it water rushing down from somewhere up the creek? I hurried out of my tent, and in the darkness I looked upstream for a luminous line of watery foam. But the sound was not from the creek as it struck my ears once again. The sound came from the prairie. To add to the excitement, the ground began to rumble intensely under my feet. I could see out of the darkness a faint, unbroken line of buffalo bearing down on our camp. To my alertness of what was about to happen, I began shouting orders to the sentries. I ordered them to abandon their observation post and climb up the low bluffs. The top of the bluffs became a recognizable place where we would be separated from the camp and the prairie. The scene was one baffling description. Like the ebbing of a tremendous tide, the countless throng receded. Nothing could be seen as far as the eye could reach, but one surging mass, black as night, moving like gigantic billows, while the loudest peal of thunder seemed insignificant in comparison to the confused trampling of numberless who. With six of us on the bluff, we positioned ourselves in a firing line. The men drew up their formations side-by-side in rigid alignment to maximize the effect of their firepower. The charging herd was thirty yards from us as I ordered my men to fire at will. We commenced the firing line and bore down on the charging herd with continuous yells. The men screeched in fear, firing at will as the earth trembled beneath us. Even the continuous roll of heavy ordnance fire was not more deafening. Earth trembled as if smitten with the throes of a volcanic eruption, while the very air seemed to quiver from the tumultuous tread and trampling of the vast drove in its wild, disordered flight. One by one, the buffalo fell in front of us until a straight path into our line became no longer possible. The herd within an instant split, leaving us in the center of their charge. The raging herd was now on both sides of us. The men continued to fire into the body of the charge as the buffalo raced behind us, dropping over the bluff. The shot and wounded ones tumbled down into the outskirts of our campsite. The remaining men in the camp below were startled from their sleep. They were paralyzed from the gunfire, beasts tumbling from the cliff, and the running herd on each side of the camp. For now, we were safe from the perils of the plane. We had held our ground, saved our camp, and men by holding off a run of buffalo 5,000 strong. I looked down once again from the high point of Pawnee Rock. The massive herd before me brought to mind the realities of their certain destruction. The thought of this destruction became a deep breath within me. I held the air into my lungs, letting out a sigh of uncertainty, while releasing a thought of sadness. I knew in my heart these mammoth herds would soon be eliminated, and the sight before me was to be the last of its kind. I climbed into the seat of the carriage, moved my small wagon, being once again among them, traveling back to receive new orders of command.